Welcome to the Golf Bubble with your host, Ben Harvey. I'm a golf professional with a goal to bring you the best in online golf content. I get up close and personal with tour professionals, golf coaches, and the most interesting people that I can find that work in the golf industry. Follow me online at Ben Harvey Golf Performance, or you can even join us on our public Golf Bubble Facebook group. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode. It's Ben, your host. I am so glad to be here for another brilliant interview. So right now, there's a bit of a storm going on outside. It is incredibly windy, probably some of the worst winds we've seen in some time here in the UK. So I hope you're at home staying safe and doing well. So talking about storms, we've got plenty of golfers cooking up a storm right now with their golf games here at Ben Harvey Golf Performance. Plenty of people sending me messages saying they've broken 100, they've broken 90 for the first time, uh, people that are hitting their first birdies or their first pars. And ultimately, as golf coaches, this is what we love to do it for. It's, it's receiving those messages, knowing that ultimately we have helped people, whether it's you know improving their golf game uh, or improving their lives in general. The funny thing about this game is when you are improving and helping someone improve their golf game, there's so many life stories that you can learn from this. And those life stories uh, tend to make people maybe change their approach to certain things that they do outside of the golf course, uh, maybe just in their general everyday life. So another reason why, again, I love doing this job. And if you are looking for coaching, I actually can coach around the world uh, for just £30 per month. That's on Golf Coach app. If you have a look at benharveygolfperformance.com, you can see all the instructions on how to join on there, how to subscribe and get involved. But looking at uh, some of the weather with it being incredibly windy at the moment, before we go into our next interview, just wanted to give you a quick tip. Now, this tip is about how you practice effectively on the range when it is incredibly windy. Because a lot of the time, what you could do is you get so focused on the result of the shot that actually, whether or not you're trying to play the ball left to right, maybe play the ball right to left, you could absolutely strike one, feel like you've hit it perfect, and it could go so far left or right of the intended target. And then next thing you know, you're kind of not really paying attention to the wind and actually what that's doing to the golf ball. So you don't really know whether or not you've hit a good shot. So tend to try and judge the uh, result by the process of what you're doing. Don't judge it by the result of where the ball is finished. It's actually great to have practice sessions where you are taking your time over 60 golf balls, not rushing, and ultimately trying to make sure that you're creating a new process. Whether that process is a pre-shot routine, it could be potentially trying to change something in your golf swing because your coach has told you to do so. Make sure that that practice is effective. So going back into effective practice and getting some results, my next interview is with the guys halfway across the world. Uh, we discuss, uh, strangely enough, sharks uh, and plenty of other interesting topics uh, and some very good laughs along the way. So uh, without further ado, here is our next guest and I will introduce it as we start this next section. I will see you guys and girls on the other side. Have a good one. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of the Golf Bubble. This is Ben, your host. Again, I'm really excited to uh, bring another guest on board. Uh, so, so this week, I want to welcome a guest with an 11 hour time difference and a very, very different accent to mine. Um, I want to welcome a very successful Aussie to the podcast. Let's welcome Glenn Whittle. How are you doing, Glenn? 
I'm good, Ben. How are you, mate? It's funny. Um, you're in Wales, and the state that I live in in Australia is called New South Wales. Well, um, I tell you what, it's it's a hell of a lot warmer probably there than it is right now here. We we've got a, a big old storm coming our way. Right. What's the temperature there today? Uh, I don't know if you do it in Celsius or Fahrenheit, but we're probably talking about 11 degrees Celsius at the moment. Yeah, we're Celsius. Where? Uh, what would it be where I am? I'd be probably uh tw- yeah 20 degrees and um it'll get to 30 today probably <laughs> oh my god and uh, just to let everybody know that glenn is uh just chilling out in his car ready to go for a, a nice little swim with the beach view in front of him i'm very jealous uh at 7 a.m in the morning to be able to go and i'm guessing you're just going to go for a sea swim my friend Yes, but just to um, not to scare everyone away from coming out to Australia, but uh, it's big news here. Just near the uh, the Coast Golf Club, which is about half an hour from where, oh, not yeah, not even that, twenty minutes from where I live. Um, a man was taken by a great white shark two days ago. <laughs> Do you know so, what? You, you, you just look so straight-faced saying that. It's kind of like, uh, is that is that just casual, you know? Never. Oh, that would never happen here. So, um, yeah, in Sydney, that would never happen. But um, it's big news. So not, not to throw a dampener on the interview, but um, <laughs> I'm about to, go, about, about to go for a swim. And, um, yeah, this poor bugger, he, he swims every day, apparently. Wow. And um, it's near the Coast Golf Club. So on the coast in Sydney, we've got, if you're ever flying into Sydney Airport, you've got one of the most famous courses in Australia called New South Wales Golf Club, mm-hmm. um, where Greg Norman took Bill Clinton for a game a few years ago when he was president. Oh, um, wow. You've got um, next door St. Michael's, then you've got the coast, then you've got Randwick. And these courses all run along the, the Sydney coastline to the airport uh, or near the airport. And that's where the guy was, um, well, he had his friendly encounter with the great white shark two, two afternoons ago. Oh, my God. Which I mean, is speak, horrific. Speaking of sharks, the funny thing is I actually had a, a, a student come for a lesson the other day. It was his first lesson. We just got to know each other. And um, I asked him, you know, what sports do you do? What kind of hobbies? You know, just the sort of general, you know, relaxed conversation. Yeah. And he said, well, I like to go fishing. And I said, oh, that's great. I said, I've only ever been fishing once myself and I, I was lucky enough to go sea fishing uh, in the Andaman Sea, my friend in Thailand. We were catching mahi-mahi, massive things. Trying to reel these things in was so difficult. I mean, our arms were killing us at the end of the day. And he said, oh, do you know what? Sometimes I go for, he said, I go fishing for something a bit bigger than that. And I said, well, where do you go? So he goes to West Wales, which bearing in mind, you don't think of Wales, England, UK, you don't think of sharks. And he said, I go kayak fishing on a 12-foot kayak, and he said they go fishing for blue sharks and things off of the west coast of Wales. And I'm going, I'm sorry, what? There's 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 sharks in Wales? I mean, can you believe that? <laughs> well, normally it's um, South Africa, Australia, normally Florida, it's the places where the heat is. Mm. So, yeah, it does surprise me. But they're uh, apparently what they're trying to do with this, this shark, because he was seen, the area where I, I live, it's called... Um, Cronulla and they think it's the same shark because we don't see any sharks in fact the, the bay that I I live near it's a massive bay there's never been a shark attack ever in history wow um and it's a massive bay it covers like 
three or four suburbs. Um, what was I going to say? And they want to they want to catch this shark, tag him, and then um, follow him and make sure he gets out of out of the area. And and obviously, if they would have not that it's easy to catch these bloody things, but if they would have caught him a couple of weeks ago, uh, hopefully this guy would have been still alive. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what anyway, a great we, way we, to start the podcast, you know? Exactly. <laughs> the great, the great white shark. You'd think we'd be talking about Greg Norman, not, not this thing. Yeah, I gotta say, you know, Greg. Well, if you look at some of Greg Norman's history, it's not always as positive as uh, <laughs> as we think it should be. But we won't sure. go into that. <clears throat> Poor guy. He's had some uh, some terrible final rounds, shall we say? We won't go. We won't go into detail on that one. So. Uh, Glenn, you, you grew up in Sydney, I'm guessing. Have you spent your whole life there? I have. I, um, I've never lived overseas. Obviously, spent a fair bit of time overseas. But, yeah, I've lived in Sydney my whole life. Um, I grew up about half an hour from where I am now in a place called Moorbank. Um, the local mm-hmm. golf club was uh, called New Brighton Golf Club. It's been revamped. Actually, one of my best mates is the pro there now. It's called Brighton Lakes. Nice. Um, I started on a 27 handicap when I was about 13 and uh, got down to about three or something like that when I was 15. And there was a heap of kids that were all keen on their golf and were all good mates. Um, And as you know, with any sport, uh, you pursue each other. You know, you try and you, you, you hang out and you practice together and someone does something special and you try and beat the bugger. I mean, that's interesting. You know, what I actually picked up from that was the fact that you said you started when you were 13 off 27 and you were down to three in two years by the sounds of it. I mean, how the hell does someone get down that fast? What's, what's the secret? What's interesting for me is um, I wasn't great at school and, and my mum and dad had um, this hard, fast rule that, I wasn't allowed to play golf during the week. Okay. It was all schoolwork um, to help me get through school, which probably wasn't a bad thing. Otherwise, I wouldn't have got a job. But anyway, so um, <laughs> what, what was interesting for me is all my friends played and practiced after school every day. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I didn't. I only played on the weekend. You didn't have much time to practice on the weekend because you'd play twice, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. So I had to chase these uh my friends but i wasn't practicing or playing i was playing and practicing five days less than them a week wow i mean how is how does that uh you know shape your your game then because if you haven't had much chance to practice throughout that period did you spend a lot of your time practicing on the course or did you go to the range much when you were doing that no no more playing um which I think is a is a major mistake for for a lot of golfers these days is they, they want to perfect everything when if you go back to the, the pure form of the game, it's your mm-hmm. ability to score on a good and bad day, in particular a bad day. Yeah. Um, it's easy to play golf when you're going good. It's not so easy to score and play and hold your, you know, keep yourself intact mentally when it's, when you're playing crap so yeah that i just played and um i was lucky i was a good putter we had a pretty tricky putting green at the course i grew up grew up and the greens mm-hmm. were fast so i think that made me a good putter truck loads of putting comps with your mates for drinks and oh yeah chips and 
and they're the best, right? They're the, some of the best times when you're a kid mm-hmm. having fun with your mates. And um, I think that made me a good putter and you had to have a good short game where I grew up, really tight sort of, a lot of trees and bush everywhere. So you had to be straight. Um, and, and then I think the rest of it as a kid is, is just how tenacious you are, how, mm-hmm. how focused, how like my bedroom wall when I was, um, when I was that age, I had, I'd cut out little pictures or some big, some medium, some tiny. And I had stuck, my whole bedroom was full of golf pictures. Okay. What kind of Millions pictures do you have them. on the wall? Who, who, who was up there? Oh, we're talking about Tom Watts. Oh, oh, anyone you could ever think of. I wouldn't have known who half of them were. Okay. It would have been Tom, Tom Watson, Seve, Norman, Ian Baker Finch. Oh, there was just Balder, whoever it was, um, male, female, just just people. You know, and, and obviously is all I was doing is, is showing my absolute passion for the game. Mm-hmm. and um, that I wanted to get better. And, and then took going back to getting better, I think school holidays was um, was when I had to, you know, hit the course every day, and, and mm-hmm. that's when I'd practice and do my short game and, and all that sort of stuff. It sounds like we, I mean, it might sound like a lot of people grow up like this, but I, I definitely can resonate with you on quite a lot of that in terms of, you know, the, the typical growing up, going to summer and spending your life on the golf course, you know, cheapest babysitting service ever right you know or cheapest uh, way of your parents to get rid of you chuck them on a golf course in the morning pick them up at the end of the day I mean I, I I still remember you know standing over a seven foot putt trying to hold this thing for to win 15 pounds on the side of the putting green because there's 15 of us you know going around in a circle going round and round and round you know trying to see who had the the, the lowest score you know one putt was one under two parts was level and 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 three parts plus etc was one over two over so you know that was kind of our goal to everyone puts a quid in the corner and and who who can take winner takes all really and i think that really made a lot of us very good golfers back in the day yeah it's and it's it's no different you you go forward to a major it's all relative you go through forward to a major championship it's a group of people um using golf to try and beat each other and they're under pressure, they're nervous, and they're trying to do the best they can. And it's no different for a, an eight-year-old kid trying to win a putting comp. Mm. They're with their peers, they're nervous, they're under pressure. They're, and, you, and you always um, hear great players talk about, you know, I've dreamt about this my whole life, you know, being on the putting green back home and having a six-footer for the Open Championship. And it's, it's great stuff. A lot of good players that I interview they always reflect back to those early years, you know. Okay, that's interesting. I've, I've, you know, I've never really kind of interviewed interviewed enough players, I guess, at the moment to really kind of go into those kind of conversations. But it does. It's, it's the psychological. I think I can't remember who it was. My mum my always keeps reminding me of this, but it was someone that she heard it from that the subconscious brain doesn't really end up going much past a six or a seven year old or, or something like that, you know, in the back of us, you know, there's a, there's that little kid always going to be in the back of our head. Doesn't matter if you're eight years old or 80, there's, there's still right. that 
sustained response. So I guess that's probably what maybe players talk about when they discuss, well, it doesn't matter if it's uh, for the Masters or for £20 when you're, you know, 10 years old on, on the side of a putting green. It's kind of like you say, it's all the same principle. It just might mean that instead of it being £20, it might be uh, probably about a million these days, but it's a big difference. And well, and pressure's all relative, isn't it? I say it all the time in lessons. People say, oh, it's, it, it's this and it's that. It, it's all relative. For a lady playing her very first competition, mm-hmm. she might be a nervous wreck. For um, Adam Scott playing in the, the Masters that he's already won, he might not be as nervous as her. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So it's all relative. It's all yeah, relative. yeah. There's, there's a funny quote. I did some research on you and... Uh, Talk to us a little bit more about your kind of inspiration behind why you like this quote. It says, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day and teach him how to fish and he'll eat forever. It, you know, how does that maybe relate to maybe your personal life or, or golf coaching, for example? Um, well, I think uh, in anything in life, if, if you have to keep relearning it or learning it again, you really don't have the skills, especially if you compare it to um, young, talented players that are going to start traveling around the world that you coach. Um, you've got to be self-sufficient. You, you've got to be able to, you've got to have coping skills. You've got to be ready for all this stuff, you know, the bat, whether it's the bad weather or the shots or your swing going a bit off. So obviously the idea is, and a young guy I coach flew to the US yesterday to play in a tournament over there. Um, you want, yeah, you want them to be ready. So it's no good just, um, you know, in that analogy, giving him a fish. You you got to teach him how to fish so that he so he's good forever. You know, you got to got to make sure it's actually from a Arrested Development song that I love. That I um, I don't know if you've ever heard of that band, American oh, band, I'm, but um, People Every Day, great song, right? Yes, them, 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 those guys. That's where it comes. That's where I get it from. <laughs> but um, yeah, so so I think you just got to um upskill people and get them ready for the for the, the reality especially if they want to um, compete because we know how good um, how many good young players there are in the world these days male mm. and female um, you've got to be ready and, and that's just uh, and it's no different for um, for whether it's me using trackman or um, I just have this mindset of um, I want to know more about it. I want to be better at it. And I want to be confident. I want to know it like the back of my hand, you know? Yeah. So if 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 you're ever faced, because in, in golf coaching, for example, people are paying good money. Um, there's a level of expectation when you're charging them mm-hmm. that, you've, that you've invested in your career or your profession. Um, there's ongoing training. I've always been a big believer in that. And it, and it doesn't have to be formal training. It could be watching YouTube, it could be reading books, it could be having a coffee with someone that's got a bit more experience than you. Um, yeah. And then back to track, man, you just, people are paying good money and you want to be able to deliver um, and diagnose and prescribe as best you can to help them. Otherwise, you truly don't care about them if you're not um if you're not doing your best from from your end you know what I mean yeah definitely I think you know going into that there's there's quite a a few instances I've had recently where you know people said they've they've paid for an hour's golf lesson the the guy stood there for 10-15 minutes do this do this and then he said oh they 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 disappeared into the shop for 20-25 minutes and then they came back and 
And it still blew my mind that there's still people out there giving that kind of, should we say, lack of quality of golf lesson and coming back in and saying, oh, so, so how are you getting on? Well, how are you supposed to know how they're getting on? You haven't even been there watching them. And I find that so fascinating that, like you say, whether you're charging 45, 50 pounds or dollars, whatever it may be for an hour, I'm like, but they paid for you. They paid for your time. And I think, you know, when you're charging what you do, I, I, I've seen how much you charge for your golf lessons. And, you know, without going into this whole justification thing, you know, going back to your coaching, uh, it all started for you at, at Jack Newton Junior Golf. And I don't know the name Jack Newton. Uh, it's not something that I'm familiar with. But, you know, you, you started coaching from a young age. Um, you know, was was coaching maybe always going to be ultimately something that you were more passionate about? Or is it something that you fell into by accident? How did that start? Let's just talk about Jack Newton just for a second, then I'll answer that question. So Jack Newton um, was a famous Australian golfer. Um, he was he led the Open Championship uh, after 71 holes and he bogeyed the last and Tom Watson, I think, birdied the last and then they had an eight-and-hole playoff and Watson shot 60 Five, I think, uh, and Jack Newton um, shot sixty-six. Oh. Uh, that was that was in that was at Carnoustie in nineteen seventy-five, and then in nineteen eighty, um, Jack finished second to Seve at the Masters. Um, so he had two seconds in major championships. He won the Australian Open. He was a good player. Played on the US Tour, um, and tragically in nineteen. 19- uh, what year? 1983 or something like that. 82, early days. Um, he walked into an aeroplane at Sydney Airport. Mm-hmm. People aren't going to come to Australia after hearing this interview. They got aeroplanes. They got sharks. <laughs> they got anyway. So he walked into an aeroplane and, and it chopped. It took his uh, right arm off. Whoa! That's he lost his scary. right arm completely, and um. He lived, which the, the doctor said was her, unbelievable, um, at his home because he was such a great, per- is such a great personality, he's still around. Um, all all the, the cricketers and tennis players and golfers and uh, football teams around the world and prime ministers and presidents and all sent him all this memory memorabilia as a, um, as a, as a um, get well present. Mm. And, uh, you should see his bar, his bar room at home. It's incredible. So, so that's Jack Newton. And then to turn it into a positive, rather than just walk away from the game, he started his own junior foundation, which is definitely the biggest in the country. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then this Jack Newton International Tournament then brought kids from all over the world. And we've had Charles Swartzel play it, Kari Webb, Adam Scott, obviously all the Aussies, but... Um, but heaps of players from overseas would play in it. And um, and so that's Jack's story. And he, he's, uh, he'd be about 75 now, but a great player. And then my, to answer your question about my coaching, um, it's interesting. I was overseas in the US um, in about 1995, something like that, or just before 2000. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I really didn't have any direction with my golf. I wasn't wasn't really sure whether I wanted to play and I was playing a little bit. Um, and I wrote down a, a whole list of um, things that I could do when I got back to Australia to pursue. Okay. And 
And on that list, coaching, coaching wasn't on that list. What, what was on the list? Uh, course design, um, being the head pro at a club. Uh, what else was it? Maybe um, in club manufacturing or something like that. Was there anything non-golf related that... on there or was it all golf? Related? Oh, no, it was all golf. It was all golf. Because um, I was already a golf. I was already a PGA member. Um, done my traineeship in Sydney. And yeah, so I, I did, coaching wasn't on the list. But I look back now, that was what, 30 years ago. And since I got back to Australia um, back then, I started working with Jack Newton, coaching all those kids and running camps and doing that. And I loved it. And I didn't realize I had this passion for coaching. And from then to now, it's never wavered. Mm. So I fell into it. I had no goal to do it. I mean, how, how does that then develop for you into, you know, leading national programs in, in junior coaching and, and national programs within the, the Australian PGA. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. Some of the things that you've done with your career and 2011 won a PGA coaching award. How, how did that then kind of maybe boom business or change you as a coach or did you just stay humble? Um, my, my, I've got a pretty, um, what's the word? Pretty um, goal oriented personality or, or, uh, pretty determined mm-hmm. so whatever I would fall into I would want to have a good crack at it so yeah. it wouldn't to me and, and, a, and a, a tour player and I a good player and I had a chat on an airplane about this once and and he said to me and I thought I reflected and thought that's so true he said it wouldn't it's not about golf he said you and I could go and open up an ice cream shop mm-hmm and we would turn it into a good ice cream shop. And it's so true. So, so it wasn't about coaching. It was just that's what I was doing at the time until I found out that I really enjoyed it. Because um, I, I always – people say to me now, how can you stand there and watch people hit golf balls all day? Like, how, how can that happen? And you do it the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. And, and I always say – um, well, if you're not India coaching and you don't have the knowledge and expertise or technology or, or experience, whatever it is, then you can't really help them. You're not really equipped to help them anyway. Nice. So you won't love it. If you, and it depends on your personality as well, but if you do have those skills and you can help people, um, then the next part of it, well, then you'll, you'll be good at it. You'll enjoy it because it's obviously, um, it's a nice thing to help people. It doesn't matter what you're doing. I mean, ours is golf, anything in life, if you're helping people mm-hmm. and they want, they want you to help them. So you think about a golf lesson, they're turning up and paying you that they want your help. You want to help them. It's a pretty good scenario. It should, it should be a fun hour really. Mm-hmm. um they're not sick you know that's a different that's a different um situation the doctor's trying to help someone that's sick but mm-hmm. but they're they're in a they're not in a good space whereas with us is all they're saying is I'm, I'm not happy with my game can you help me and then they really they really appreciate it i always say to my clients don't go missing you've you've got to stay in contact and let me know how you're going because 
so often you run run into someone at dinner and they're like, oh, you've changed my life and I'm so much better now. I'm, I've reduced my handicap, this, that, and the other. And you're like, you didn't tell me. How, how would I know? You, <laughs> you could have quit. You could have quit the game for all I knew. Yeah. They're like, no, no, no. That thing you showed me and blah, blah. I tell all my friends. And, and so I always say to my clients, stay in contact. You got to, you got to at least shoot me a message and say, Hey, it's going good or it's going bad or, you know, just because look, it's difficult. You know, you've got personalities, you've got egos, um, you've got your own teaching style. They've got their own learning style and all you're trying to merge all those things, mm. but w- without them um, letting you know and staying in touch, how do you um, either feel good about yourself because you've helped them or know what to fix? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think let's say, for example, then if you were to look at, uh, you know, people that you've helped over the past, uh, is there any particular strange kind of situations that you've had on on a coaching tee that you can remember over the years? Um, yeah, I uh, when I very first started coaching at the first golf range in Sydney, it's not there anymore. Um, I gave an old guy a lesson and he had just told me that he'd had um, his hip replaced or something four or five months ago. And, mm-hmm. and here I am in, in the early days trying to help him move his body and his pivot. And I didn't know much about it, to be honest, anyway. Anyway, <laughs> right. I'm trying to help him. And uh, I remember... I remember twisting his hips, mm-hmm. focused on his golf swing, yeah, and cracking, and and I heard his hip crack. No, oh my god! And he, and he's like, oh, and I remember <laughs> thinking, I remember thinking, this bloke's just, this poor bloke's just had his uh, hip replaced, and spent, you know, five, four or five months rehab, and and oh just getting god. back out into the world, and you're coming in as, as some golf coach trying to get him to move his hips properly and crack his hip <laughs> anyway so a tip for the young coaches out there um you know we, we live and learn the hard way but there's no better way to, to learn that than in life is there you can't learn from a book but um so what, these what was, things the, what was that, the end result like what happened did i you, never did saw you him again or, i mean i'm not surprised but never saw the poor bloke again yeah he could have went he could have went away and said, um, yeah, like he, he could have been fine or he could have said that thing that golf guy did to me really, uh, you know, I'd hate, I hate to even think about it. It was 30 years ago, but I hate to even think about it. Um, what's oh another story on the golf team? I mean, I've given thousands of lessons, but um, what's another one? I've had, I've had two, uh, two or three lessons in my life where, I've pulled up stumps. I don't not, don't know if you're familiar with that term. That's a cricket term mm-hmm. where you just pull out, walk away, give up. Yep. I've had two or three of them, which is not bad out of thousands and thousands, where I've oh, said yeah. to the guy, um, you know what? Your attitude sucks. <laughs> you, you're not listening. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to help you. Everything I, I throw at you, you refuse to try mm-hmm. i don't know why you're here i i'm 
I'm charging you to do this and I feel bad. Anyway, so here's your money back and don't come back. Wow. I mean, I've never done, I've never done that myself. I've never actually, I don't think I've ever given money back and told someone to disappear yet. I've I've been in a, in the, in the business probably a lot shorter period than, than, than you have, but looking into that, let's say, for example, then did you feel that maybe it was them or do you think maybe it was you at the time? No, no, I think it's them. I think um, my personality is caring. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely their attitude, you know, because I'm very patient. That's one skill I think you got to have as a golf coach. I'm very patient. So I'll, mm-hmm. you know, just because someone's struggling or not playing well or can't understand it or getting frustrated, I'll stay there with, forever with them. Um, that, Cause that's part of the journey, right? Yeah, I'm definitely. talking about, I'm talking about the person who's like, no, you know, arrogance, yeah. No, this doesn't. This doesn't work. I'm not mm-hmm. doing it. You find another way, and it doesn't matter what you throw at them. So I've had a. Few, I've had a couple of them. Not many. Not yeah. many. Um, maybe two, but that's always a really uncomfortable and and. Uh, but but it's good for people listening. This is this is the real world, you know. When I oh, yeah. when you go and talk to young young coaches, one thing that I'm a big believer in is is being truthful you know that you don't, you don't want to stand there and 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 bs them and tell them oh okay so this is how the industry works and everyone turns up with flowers in their hair and mm-hmm. um all you know just the niceties of it that, that's they're great but you also need to be honest with them and tell them you'll have times where you give them misinformation mm-hmm. they think what well it's true the, the fact is, uh, especially pre-technology and TrackMan, like I'm a big TrackMan fan, mm-hmm. um, and it's a tool for me more than them. Sure. But because um, the data just reinforces, I think they're hitting it off the heel and I think it's because of this. And then you look at TrackMan and they're not hitting it off the heel. No. And you go, right, um, that's a problem. What would have you done? <laughs> what would have you done twenty years ago with this lesson? If you were sure he was hitting off the heel, or she's hitting off the heel, and she's not, so you recalibrate track man and make sure it's right, and it is, hmm. and then you go because at the end of the day, you want to fix. It's, it's I always compare it to an X-ray for a doctor. Mm-hmm. You want to diagnose things correctly, get to the bottom of the fault or the issue, find out what they want and throw it all in the pot and try and come up with a, with a, you know, an edible dish, a, yeah, yeah. Um, a reasonable, a reasonable outcome, you know, for everyone. Have you, have you ever had one of those proper brown pants moments where you maybe have said something and gone, Oh, do you know what? I am so wrong here. I just tell them the, the more you've been coaching, the more comfortable you are in your own skin as a professional the more honest you are, mm-hmm. you know, you'd find me, if you watch me give a golf, give a golf lesson, you'd find me very relaxed uh, because you become comfortable in your own skin. You just, you know, when you're young, you're so worried about, Oh, I've got to do this. And I've got to stand here and I've got to wear this and I've got to, I've got to say this and I've got to use this tone and I've got to be, uh, and I've got to, you know, all that sort of stuff. Whereas, when you've been doing it a long time and you've given a lot of lessons, 
you, you become you. Yeah. And so just, just whack a few balls. Oh, oh, what club do you want to use? You want me to use whatever you like. What would you like to use? Mm-hmm. Uh, seven iron. I don't hit that very well. Okay, whack some seven irons. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's so relaxed, you know. And and you and you say, um, I, I often say to people, that's pretty bad, isn't it? And they go, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you go, well, it's no good. You you know it's bad, and I know it's bad. Yeah. You want me to tell you it's good? There's not just and no they point. Go, just tell me as it is. And I go, that's right. That's my personality anyway. So I mean a shank is a know, shank, right? <laughs> exactly. And it's a it's you know, you often call it a right to right. It's, it's, just, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the only ball flight you don't want is a right to right. <laughs> right to right. I've never heard that one before. I like that. That's good. <laughs> so you just be you just be yourself and that takes a long time because Part of that is is the confidence underlying being yourself is the confidence that you have enough knowledge and experience mm. um, and and lessons under your belt that it's okay. There's, there's ways out of this. It's okay. We can, you know, you say that to them all the time. It's, it's all right. There's there's hundreds of drills. So at the end of the day, we're going to find the one that resonates with you. So we'll try this one. Mm. If you don't like it. Because we know what we're trying to fix. We're trying to fix an outside-in swing path and it's too steep or whatever, whatever. Um, or they're, here, they're pulling too much on the shaft, so there's too much shaft lean and the face is open and impact, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So you know what you're trying to fix and you've told them that. Now it gets on to, well, let's try some stuff together. Yeah. And we'll see which one gives us either better results or a better awareness or um, or uh, better numbers on track, man, if that's what we're after, whatever, you know? Mm. It's, it, that that kind of goes to something that I did last week. Uh, I was trying to get a guy to stay in posture. And, you know, sometimes whether you've done the science, should we call it, behind this particular drill and whether it works or not, sometimes I just kind of go, do you know what, stuff it, I'm just going to try something really weird. So I just got an alignment stick and shoved it down this guy's jumper across his back and said, right, don't move the alignment stick. And he just swung perfectly around it, absolutely nuked one. And he went, oh, my God, where did that come from? And it was just like on the spot, right? You've just got to try and figure out a solution for that person at the time, see what happens and see what the result is that comes out of it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. And what happens if um, one of the best coaches in the world charging $600 a lesson um, says that's a silly idea only to find out if they met that person that you taught, that that because at the end of the day, it's all about the client. If you found out that that client that you put the alignment stick down his jumper actually understood why and practiced it and it made him better and he felt more comfortable and confident. And at the end of the day, if you can help, I've always, when I go and talk to the young pros, I always say, um, don't don't rest on your laurels that you're now PGA. I mean that's fantastic. Um, mm. But but um, if if my next door neighbour was a was a mechanic, and every time he gave me some golf swing advice, I played better. Guess who I'd be having my lessons with? 
Yeah. I'd be having no. a lesson with my next door neighbor, the mechanic. I don't because know if you've, uh, it's all. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, carry on. No, no, you're right. You're right. I, I, that kind of thing brings up a uh, a particular phrase. I remember Jack Nicholas saying once in an interview, and they were talking about, you know, Jack. Was there any particular people that you used to listen to? If someone said, "Oh, Jack, you look like you're doing this," you know, are you going to listen to them? And he, he asked him a question back, and the question was uh, something that I always say to some of, uh, you know, whenever I play golf with people, and I'm not saying it because I want them to have coaching off me, but I always say to them, the the, the question of what Jack said was. His response was, would you ever take advice from someone that you wouldn't want to trade places with? I don't know what your thought is on that phrase or how you take that phrase. Yeah, well, at at the end of the day, you just want to get better. That's your primary goal. Mm. Um, It's a bit different if if you're a professional and wants to play for a living, but but just your average golfer, like the average golfer in the US, I think, um, is like a a 22 handicap or something mm-hmm. people think that you know they're off five or six is your average handicap and it's far from it oh yeah so is all these all these people want to do is they want to get better mm-hmm. and they want to um enjoy their golf and and they want to have a better understanding of what they what they do why they do it and often no one knows the answer to that one why they do it mm-hmm. it could be conceptual or it could be um, what they were told, as you said earlier about when they were young, what they were told and um, how they learn other sports they've played and the influence mm-hmm. that has on them, like baseball or tennis or cricket or soccer, whatever. Um, yeah, but um, is all we want to do at the end of the day, one thing I've learned later in life when coaching is we're all the same. Yeah. You know, when people turn up to their first lesson, they start telling you what they want we're all the same. Mm. We want to hit it out of the middle of the club face. We want to re- reduce our dispersion. In other words, we want to make our crappier shots less crap. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to, we want to do them less often. Uh, we want to turn a, a good score into a great score. We want to turn a bad score into a half decent score. Um, we want to know what we're doing that we shouldn't be. We want to know how to practice and what we should be practicing. So you, when you say that to people, um, they, they sort of, uh, you know, you want to get your ball. If you normally get your ball from 150 meters out, if your average distance to the holes 25 meters, you want to get it in there at 20 meters. Mm-hmm. And it's just small steps in the right direction. And, and, and they look at you and like, that's, he's never met me, but that's, that's right. <laughs> that's that's, ex- that, that's exactly what i want yeah if it, talking about cr- same stuff talking about crappy shots then have you got any particular weird things that have happened on the golf course who you can remember over the years or any particular luck like, for, for you or anyone else you might have played with or any weird lucky shots you've ever seen um Oh, we've all seen heaps of lucky shots. Um, when I, I had my first hole in one, when, I, I had my first hole in one when I was thirteen. Um, I complained. Cool. I whinged all the way to the, 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 the. I whinged while the ball was in the air all the way to the hole. No. I thought it was going in the bunker short, <laughs> and it went in. So I hit it, and I oh, you know, I haven't, you know, it shouldn't have, it didn't get up, well, or something, and then landed over the bunker, rolled up, and went in. <laughs> And the, 
the poor bloke I was playing with was 40 something. He'd never had a hole in one. Um, and then I had an 11 on the next hole because I was an absolute mess. <laughs> because I'd had a hole in one and I was 13 and I was off a 20 something handicap and I couldn't wait to tell my mum and dad or whatever. And so <laughs> I couldn't even play the next hole. I was, I had like- one a six, one a six. So one is six in this Dalford. And then I had an 11, a wipe on the next hole. Oh my God. It's, it basically sounds like you like got so excited. You just pounded five bags of Harry bone. You're just shaking good with excitement. You just can't yeah, hit a golf ball, right? <laughs> I was a mess. I was a mess. But, <laughs> but they're, they're good things. One of, if any kids or parents are listening out there, um, one of the things my dad encouraged me to do, which I still have to this day, is from when I started playing when I was about nine, I didn't get a handicap till I was 13, but I got a bit, a bit more serious, about 11 or 12. Mm. But I kept a, a scrapbook from day one. So I've got my very first scorecard. Um, I don't know if you have, twi- you probably don't have twisties over there. Do you know what twisties are? No. Twisties are like, che- like cheesels, like cheese chips. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the score, the scorecard, has has the orange marks from my cheesels all over them. <laughs> and so that was my first scorecard. And then um, you go through to, you know, it's books and books and books and books of drawings and poems and um, cutouts from the newspapers to photos to, and dad would any time that something I did with my golf, he'd cut it out of the paper or this went right through to it when I was coaching and Jack Newton and the PGA, whatever. I mean, if you go to a dinner and um, let's say it's a centenary dinner and the PGA, you throw the the menu in there. Mm -hmm. And when you look back on life, like I think that's something hopefully that stays in the family um, for a long time because you know, you go back and look at your great, great grandfather when they started playing golf when they were 10 and, you know, way back. And um, so that's something I encourage all kids to do is grab grab a scrapbook. And although you think it's useless now, just throw some things in there, whether it's just the card from the local club or make yourself a note because there are things back when when you look back in life, you'll, you'll like to look at that sort of stuff. I think we just live in such a throwaway society now because everything's on your phone. And I think that's really cool that you've done that. What's one of the most prized possessions that you can think of that you've collected over the years? Uh, That's a good question. Um, Probably um, your hole-in-one balls. If you ever have a hole-in-one, keep them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think that book, that that entire um, catalogue of of um, notebooks would mm. definitely be up there. Um, and then, and then definitely for me, prized possessions, are friendships, the number sure. one thing that you get out of golf is people. And going back to coaching for a second, one of the things that I say all the time is you, um, if they weren't people, mm-hmm. I wouldn't coach. If they weren't human beings, if they were robots that I was trying to repair and I had my toolkit out and they were struggling with their game, this robot, and I is all I had to do is reprogram them and tighten them up and let them go. Mm-hmm. I would leave my job tomorrow. Oh yeah. 
it's people that you're helping. So because they've they've got a personality, um, they've got struggles and strengths yeah. and weaknesses and and things in their life that are going on and they're playing golf for whatever reason and and with covid and mental mental health's been such a big such a prominent part of it people mm-hmm. are stuck at home in lockdown um so golf people a lot of people have found golf and um it's an amazing game like that so just finishing off on that one it's about people it's it's not about um golf swings although that's part of it it's yeah. about help helping that person achieve their goals. Um, and, and, and to me, how I know I truly passion, I'm passionate about coaching is it's happened to me plenty of times. I'll be on holidays or something mm-hmm. um, and I'll see someone on the golf course with not much idea and I'll always go up and offer to help or to show them something. Um, Kim and I went, my wife and I were out um, uh, at a school fair, uh, like a food market months ago. Mm-hmm. And on our way back to the car, there's a, there's a young kid with his granddad on a park whacking some balls. Okay. And me being me, I'm over there talking to the granddad and yeah. talking to the kid. And he had, he had a tournament coming up. He said, Oh, I've got to, school tournament coming up next week or whatever whatever yeah and i was helping him i said well you got to tee your ball up a bit higher and see how it doesn't get in the air and you got to do this and you got to do that so to me that's that's when you know you love helping people because Mm -hmm. it's not about money or it's not about um ego or credibility those things come there's no doubt but they come when you truly, it's like Tiger Woods. Um, he wasn't out there chasing money. No. He was out there chasing the dream to be the best he could be and beat, beat Nicholas's record. So, so that was the driving force behind it, you know, not the money. No, not at all. And, and let's say, that I think we should all be very blessed that we can actually, you know, coach for a living because, you know, it's... I just can't imagine ever going back into an office now after, you know, 18 months coming up to sort of two years, nearly full-time coaching. Now it's, it's something that I don't think I ever want to do anything else. I just can't see myself doing anything else. And I think it's a great place to be. And um, before we sort of finish off, cause you've been so grateful for your, uh, with your time. Um, if we, if we look at it just quickly, um Talk just quickly about Yardage Book Yarns, your podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm going to start listening to, to a lot more of those episodes. Why, why did you start the podcast? How did that come about? Um, I've been lucky enough to, um, through the positions I've had in golf, to get to know a lot of uh, people. So um, because I know a lot of people in Australia through golf, whether they're in administration or course design or players or caddies or whatever whatever they might be Mm. coaches obviously peers friends um i just thought you know what i i love um having a chat as as you would have noticed today that's my Mm -hmm. style um and there's there's i know plenty of people out there in golf so i thought let's get to know i'm always interested in people's life beyond golf or sure. beyond their golf swing. I'm interested in 
I often find myself at the start of lessons asking people where they grew up, how many kids they've got, what they do for work, because, and not, not to help them with their golf, but although that happens, it's more just because I'm, I'm interested. So yeah. that's why I thought if you've got a lot of good contacts um, and you, um, you're interested in people's lives, well, it's a great way both for you and for golfers out there, the listeners, to get to know the journey, which is sort of what you've done with me today. It's it's where you've come from. And you often, um, it's humbling to see or listen to how normal everyone is. And that's the other benefit of doing it. You think, no, but this is, you know, this famous golfer or caddy or coach or whatever. And... The reality is that it's normal people that have that have um, found their way somehow yeah. and um, and become successful, which is which is great for kids to hear that you don't have to come from a rich family or you don't have to be a great player early on or um, you just have to have the desire and set some goals and do the hard work and get a good team around you. Yeah, hundred percent, and and hopefully we we will have another conversation in the future and, and and stay in touch. And before we finish, uh, this will take literally one minute, probably or even less than that, just so everybody can get to know maybe a little bit more of a personal side of Glenn in a very quick space of period. This is my rapid eight ball questions I like to ask. So if you just take a nice deep breath in, clear your heads. I'm going to ask you eight quick rapid fire questions. And just say the first thing that comes to your head. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, here we go. This is Ben's rapid eight ball questions with Glenn Whittle. You come home to find your house is on fire. What item do you run in and get? Your, the people. People. What's one food that then you the, eat for the rest of your life if you yeah. had to? You've got one choice of food. Uh, you can only eat it. Pizza. Okay. That's, that's the first. No one's ever said pizza. We love a bit of pizza. If you had one golf club in your bag to play an entire round with, which club would it be? Seven iron. Who's the most famous person you've ever spent time with? Greg Norman. Oh, man, I wish we could talk more about that. We'll come back to that. I'm definitely on another conversation for sure. Um, if you could pick a song to walk out to on the tee... Every every time that you play, doesn't matter if it's an event or a or just a friendly. What song would it be? Everyday People by Arrested Development. Great song, I love it. So chilled. Uh, you're stuck on a desert island. Who do you want to be there with you? My wife. If you could bring one musician back from the dead, who would it be? Um, John Lennon. Oh, John Lennon. I think that's genuinely, I think that might be the second week in a row we've had John Lennon. What's them, What's your most common nickname over the years? Wit. I like that. For Whittle. I like that. That's cool. Uh, Glenn, you've been amazing with your time. Uh, I've had a really lovely conversation and hopefully we get to have another chat in, in the future because, you know, you're an interesting guy. Um, I love watching your videos. For anybody out there that, you know, just wants to, maybe just sit and watch some golf videos without someone going, you grip it like this. You should stand like this. Do you know what? Just go and listen to Glenn's videos. Cause he's just so relaxed. He's very chilled with his approach. Like you were saying earlier, just talk to people and just see what happens. And obviously there's a hell of a lot of knowledge that comes from it. You know, you're not just standing there rabbiting on at people, you know, you know what you're doing, but I love your approach. 
Um, before you go, where can everybody find you online, my friend, if they want to watch videos or, or get to know a bit more about Glenn? If they Google Glenn Whittle Golf or Whittle mm-hmm. Golf, they'll find yeah YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. It's all on there. And I've got a Ben. I've got a golf training aid that I'm going to release in the US in about six months time. I forgot um, to ask you about so that. Just, I've been watching that. Tell us a little bit more about that quickly. Just um, the one that I'm releasing comes from the one that the the concept that I've had, which is a swing plane orientated with some foam and the previously, mm-hmm. but this one has 10 uses uh, in one and it's, I'm really excited about it. I've just got to, well, I can't say much more because no one knows about it, but it's, okay. um, we're going to release it in six months. I'll keep you guys up to date, but um, just, just Google my name and it will pop up. And um, it's something that people can use mainly at home and uh, it'll help golfers all over the world. We'll release it in the U S and it should do well. I've definitely seen it on a few videos and it did fascinate me. I'm trying to, uh, you know, still learn more about it myself. So I'll keep watching and, and I'll definitely watch the space. And when it's ready, I'll, uh, I'll send a link out to people. Obviously we're, we're based in the UK. So do you think that it'll ever be an opportunity for it to be delivered yeah, to of the course. UK? Yeah, of course, because the way the world works now with Amazon, um, it'll be as simple as clicking a button, um, paying the freight, which won't be that expensive, and you're and you're away. It'll be in the backyard in a few days. That sounds awesome. I'm really excited. So, Glenn, thank you so much again for your time. Uh, I've had a great conversation. I really look forward to you know staying in touch. And if I can ever get out to Australia, I definitely know where to go. We'll have a beer. Thanks, Ben. Sounds good, my friend. Thanks for coming on board. See you, mate. Bye. Cheers.